This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Hey, it's Greg Stanley. If you're listening to this podcast, you know I love everything automotive. This passion has expanded to include being a car specialist consultant for RM Sotheby's. So if you need assistance buying or consigning a collector car at any one of our online or live auctions, including Scottsdale, Amelia Island, or Monterey, you can reach one of our car specialists at rmsotheby's.com or you can email me directly at gstanley at rmsotheby's.com. Metron Garage is a company designing unique garages, condos, and other structures specifically for the auto enthusiasts. They've got eight models to choose from, including two-story options, which I think is super cool, while with a very modern look and feel to them. And they come in all sizes, and they're fully customizable. You can check out them today and start specking your own ultimate garage at metrongarage.com, where you can request a catalog or talk to someone to learn more. So be sure to check it out. I just want to give a quick thanks to Euro Classics for sponsoring this episode. Euro Classics is all about collector cars, from servicing your new BMW M5 to prepping your Porsche for the racetrack to executing a total restoration on your favorite classic. They do it all from routine maintenance to performance upgrades to appraisals and everything in between. You can learn more about its owner, Dale Oaks, by listening to episode number 65 of this podcast. And you can find Euro Classics in the Kentucky, Ohio, Indiana service area and online at euroclassics.com. Classics, C-L-A-S-S-I-X dot com. Hey, auto enthusiasts, it's Greg. Hey, a couple quick updates before we kick off this episode. First off, stay until the very end of this podcast to listen to an interview of our next artist for the Artist Gallery. Now, this is sponsored by David Snyder. You can check out Dave's stuff at davidsnydercarart.com. Second of all, if you would like to ask Rob Meyer a question about his impressive career in the collector car marketplace, shoot me a note at gstanley at rmsotheby's.com. Yes, Rob Meyer is R.M. Sotheby's, the R and the M in R.M. Sotheby's. So, Wonderful career there. And lastly, if you have not signed up for my behind-the-scenes newsletter, also shoot me a note at gstanley at rmsotheby's or greg at thecollectorcarpodcast.com, and you will get all sorts of fun behind-the-scenes stuff that you cannot find or hear on the podcast. All right, now it's on to this episode. Hey, it's Greg Stanley with the Collector Car Podcast. I'm really excited about this episode because for the first time, I'm digging into some of the folks that work on these cars and restore these amazing cars we see at the auctions or at the shows or the Concours or wherever it might be. So I'm really excited to welcome today Ali Domar. Ali, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I'm so excited. And we met because I was attending Cavalino Classic down in West Palm Beach. I was actually helping judging the 275 GTB Ferraris. And I just fell in love with this particular Ferrari that was just unique, outstanding, amazing. And when I asked around, it turns out that you're one of the folks that worked on the car, you know, assisted in painting the car, just did it such an amazing job. So I really wanted to have you on the show to kind of talk through that a little bit. So if you would, could you tell us a little bit about the special Ferrari 275 GTB? Sure, absolutely. It is a 1965 275 GTB. Um, it is the Pininfarina Special number 6437. Um, it was owned by Pininfarina personally. It's the only 275 that was built at Pininfarina's place. Um, all others were built 
um, at Scaglietti, and there are 58 differences, this 275 versus any other 275 on the road. Wow, wow. Yeah, and I'd like for you to kind of describe the paint color, because I know I will not do it justice. <laughs> um, so the paint on it is Aqua Verde Metalizado. Um, it's kind of a lighter blue-green metallic. Um, you see more green in it, but there is a slight hint of blue. Okay, and that has what, kind of a tan interior, if I'm right, or kind of a reddish tan? Yeah, it's um, kind of a reddish brown leather interior. Right, and it is just absolutely amazing. And in period, it was shown, I think it made its initial appearance at the Frankfurt Motor Show, and then it also went to the Paris Motor Show, Torino Motor Show, as well as Brussels Motor Show as one of their signature displays. So this car was a big deal when it came out in 1965, and I know it, you know, somewhat famously sold for around $8 million a few years ago because for a GTB, that's really up there, but obviously this is a very special one. And then it went right into some type of restoration, including paint, correct? Correct. Now, how did you get involved with the car? Because I I imagine working on a car at this level has got to be a little nerve-wracking, but then I'm also assuming you know, you've worked with, obviously, cool cars for a while now. So tell us a little bit about how you got involved. I have. So the first few cars that I've worked on that were um, high up there in value, um, those were a little nerve-wracking. I've gotten a little more used to it over time. But I started at Rare Drive in 2021, and this 275 was actually the first car that I worked on there. Um, so when I started there, um, it had already gone through um, the metal fab and the lead work and everything. So then I got it. I did all the body work on it, um, all the priming, blocking, took it all the way through paint. Worked with Lee Harrington on the paint colors to just get it absolutely perfect. Lee has a great eye for colors. So we worked on that and got the paint color absolutely perfect to how he wanted it and yeah, it was, it, and in the end, before um, it got on the truck, I have this fabulous picture of everybody in the shop working on it. Um, it was a complete team effort on that car, um, but it's definitely one of the most beautiful cars I have ever painted. Yeah, it is for me as well. That's what really caught me about the car. And then, like you said, 58 different unique touches. Some of them are small, where it might be trim. Others are a little bit larger. Uh, I know like the wheels were a little bit different, a lot of different things on this car that make it truly special. So if you would, could you kind of walk us through your kind of career in the automotive world and, you know, maybe talk about, you know, maybe some of the challenges you've had or some of the cool cars you've worked on in the past that obviously you're very successful to be given the reins to work with this car, but just kind of walk us through, you know, your career a little bit. Absolutely. Um, so I actually... I started um, at a community college, I, Wabonza Community College in Illinois. That's where I got my first go at working on cars. I wanted to when I was younger, but I wasn't allowed to. Um, <laughs> ran into trouble with that from the get-go. So I, I started to excel there and did great, and I, I did competitions at the college and placed high. I did Skills USA um, and took first in Illinois, eighth in the nation at my first get-go on it, which was pretty good. So in, in, in that scenario, what are you painting exactly? In the competition? Yes, in the competition. Um, so that actually tests a wide range of skills. So you do color matching, you prime a fender, you paint a fender, uh, you mask off a car, you have a written test. It, it kind of gives you a whole wide range, and it's more 
collision-focused. Um, so I started off in collision, um, but I always had a passion for old cars. I always loved old cars and knew one day I would end up working on old cars doing restorations. Um, but I had to get a start, and that's where I started in collision. Um, so the Skills USA competitions, they're more collision-focused, so there were estimates that had to be written up and things like that. Okay. All right. So that's part of the Skills competition with Skills USA, right? Correct. I competed at the college level there, uh, placed first in Illinois, and then went to the national competition, competed against all the first-place state winners, and took eighth in the nation because I'm terrible at written tests. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And so where'd you go from there? So after that, um, I worked at a few shops locally. Um, I also did, I have a mechanical degree from there as well. So I started off in mechanics and body work. So then I worked in a few shops for a while, and then I heard about uh, McPherson College in Kansas. It's the only college in the U.S. to offer a bachelor's degree in automotive and motorcycle restoration. Yeah, that's a great college, especially for folks that might want to work in a restoration shop at some point, correct? Absolutely. So I applied there and got in and moved to Kansas and went there. And, and I actually um, double majored. I did automotive and motorcycle restoration. Wow. Um, Unfortunately, they don't offer the motorcycle restoration program anymore, though. All right. And so once you get out of McPherson College, like, where did you go to first? Was it like a local body shop? Was it a restoration shop? Like, where did you set your sights? So after I graduated from McPherson College, I actually went to a private collection in Missouri. Um, So I worked for a very nice man who owns a lot of cars and motorcycles, and he (laughs) employed a shop to take care of them. So I did paint and body work for him. And then I stayed there for a couple of years and decided I wanted to move a little closer to family. So um, I ended up going to Wisconsin and working at Ring Brothers up there. Oh, wow. Okay. The Ring Brothers. Interesting. Yes. uh, They're fabulous people. Um, I miss them dearly. <laughs> okay. Um, next time I'm up there, I will go stop in and say hi to them. <laughs> so I worked there, and then um, after being there for a little bit, they I know a couple of guys um, who worked at Rare Drive. I went to college with them at McPherson, and their paint and body person who they had forever was retiring, and they were looking to replace him. So they called me up and asked what I was doing, and... I came out to visit and fell in love with the place and and, uh, moved out here. Wow, that's really incredible. And that's amazing that, you know, you you got kind of your training, not your training, but you got your first true experience at a large collection, which in my experience, you probably had to do a little bit of everything, right? Yes. So what was the first car you painted for that collection? And did it, did you fall in love with it as soon as you did it? Like, what was the response? Did you, being like your first time presenting to a customer? Um, Yeah, I mean, the first car that I painted there was a 1931 Hudson Boattail Speedster, which there are only eight left in the world. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it was one of eight. And I I fell in love with that car. Um, It's still one of my favorites. My mom's personal favorite, too. (laughs) Wow, okay, that's really cool. And then how did the Ring Brothers opportunity come to be? Because for those of you 
don't know, I mean, they just do incredible, amazing, I don't want to say resto mod because they pretty much redo everything on these cars, mostly muscle cars, and just take them to the 11th degree, right? Yes, yeah, it's um, it's all completely custom there. So when I was looking towards moving back closer to home, I grew up in Chicago. Um, so they're in Wisconsin, and we have a family house in Wisconsin. I was looking around there, and I stopped at two shops when I was up at our house in Wisconsin, one of them being Ring Brothers, um, one being another local restoration shop, and they both offered me a job. And I chose Ring Brothers because they are fantastic people, um, and I really wanted the opportunity to work with them and learn from them because they do such amazing and cool things. So if you would, and I know I'm kind of going down the rabbit trail here a little bit with your career, but I find it pretty fascinating. Compare those three so let's let's give us kind of the major differences between working for a collector is one, working for a place like the Ring Brothers where it's totally custom every day, and then working for like Rare Drive where honestly you want to get it a lot of cases as factory accurate as possible. So you got you know let's say the high end factory cars, you got the total resto mod crazy cars, and you got the collection that's a variety of cars did you kind of like them all the same or did you did you gravitate towards one versus the other were they all completely different experiences um they're all completely different experiences and that's one of the things that i love about my career is i am open to so many different experiences um and i can learn so much from each different place and i and i have i've learned a lot at every different place and every different place is, has different opportunities um but God, i don't i don't think i can really compare them yeah yeah that's right i mean i can see that because i see it being so different at each one so okay well now tell us is there something you're working on special special right now at rare drive you could share with us well i am working on something special and i cannot talk about it at this time. <laughs> well, well, that's fine. Just let me know when I can share I'm it. Sorry. Then I'll update everybody. <laughs> All um, but it will be shown in a couple of years. Is there anything not special that you're working on you can tell us about? <laughs> well, everything there is special. Um, I would assume so. <laughs> currently, I am working on another 275 as well as the other car that I can't talk about. Um, but I do have another 275 in my bay at the moment. Wow. Okay. Uh, can I ask the color of that 275? That one is going to be a light blue metallic. Okay. Um, with no green in it. With no green in it. Okay. No the other green. one is light green metallic with blue. Now we got light blue with no green. Okay. I like it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, one thing I like to do at the end of this, and I don't think I gave you a heads up on it. I've been pretty bad at this, but it's a fun game and you can't lose. I play a little game called Keep, Cash, and Crush. So I'm going to give you three cars and you have to pick one to keep forever, one to cash in, and then one to send to the crusher. And if you can't send a car to the crusher, just tell me which one comes in number three and I will send it to the crusher for you, okay? (laughs) (laughs) So your three cars, and I've been kind of working on this while we're talking, I want to try to, it's got to be semi-painful, but not too easy, okay? So The first car, I'm going to pick a classic Ferrari, but nothing that crazy. But I'm going to pick an early 70s Ferrari Dino. So that's one of the cars. The next car, you know what? I know you like old stuff, so I'm going to pick an even older car. I'm going to pick a 1950s Porsche Speedster. Not a Carrera Speedster, but a Speedster. And then the third car, this is where I get a little mean. I'm going to pick the Ring Brothers Defiant 1972 Javelin AMX. 
So those oh, well. are your <laughs> those, <laughs> those are your three cars: the Ring Brother Defiant, a Porsche Speedster, and a Ferrari Dino. So which one will you keep forever? Which one will you cash in? And unfortunately, which one will you send to the crusher? Well, you know, I got to keep the uh, Ring Brothers one forever since I worked there. Yeah, I figured you would. All right. I yeah. That's too easy. Okay. All right. Well, which one are you going to cash in between the Ferrari and the Porsche? Well, I don't want to send either one to the Crusher. <laughs> Pick Which one would be number one? Which one would be number two? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Ferrari number two. Okay, so you're sending a Ferrari to the Dino, or the Ferrari Dino to the Crusher is what I heard. Is that right? No, 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 I didn't say that. <laughs> so you're going to cash in the Speedster? No, no, other way around. Okay, so you're going to cash in the Dino and unfortunately send the Speedster to the Crusher. Is that right? Correct. In in theoretical world. Okay. All right. Now, see, if you added in a 1937 Cord 8-12, I would have picked that one to keep. I know. That's why I didn't. I was kind of looking at, all right, you know, the first two are semi-close in dollar value. The Ring Brothers, probably up there, too, you know, so special. So um, I knew that Hudson Botel Speedster would just be through the moon. So Yeah, well, the, actually, the 1937 Cord 8-12 SC Phaeton is my favorite car ever. Oh, nice. Okay, I've had a long conversation with different people. Uh, how do you how do you identify a Phaeton? Um, it is an oh god, open touring car, I believe. All right, well that might be the right answer because I've always thought of it as a four door four seater convertible. Uh, but apparently the 1936 Cord 810 is also a. Uh, also a Phaeton, as described by their brochure, but it's a two-door. So Correct. The, the so I, you... I believe it's the open touring car. Okay. open. All right. We got our answer. All right. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, what's, where's the best way for our listeners to learn more about Rare Drive? Um, on our website. Okay. So that's at raredrive.com? Raredrive.com. Okay. And is there any social media where our listeners can also see what you're up to? Um, I do have an Instagram Okay, and what's the handle? So my Instagram is alleycat with a K eighteen forty three. Okay, and I'll put all these links in the description to this podcast. Our listeners can just click the link and join you in Instagram world. So, all right, well, thank you so much, Allie, for joining us on the Collector Car Podcast today. Thank you so much for having me on. Okay, like I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, I do want to start adding an artist update with some of these amazing artists that I meet on my travels to different car shows, different car events. And for this episode, I'd like to welcome David Townsend. David, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Hey, I really appreciate you being on the pod this podcast. We met a while ago, and I'm thrilled to have you on, especially you know when I looked at your artwork, I was blown away by your paintings. They're so intricate and detailed. And I wondered if you could just kind of give our listeners uh, kind of an overview of the kind of artwork you do in the automotive world? Um, I think the, the term most listeners would recognize is cutaway art. Um, so you can see the inside of the car and the outside of the car. Mine is um, unusual in its style. So it's, it's unique in its style. Um, most cutaway art has large sections uh, where you actually can clearly see through everything. My, my stuff is is more translucent. Sure. Yep. So you get you get much more of the car 
and the insides. It's, um, if you had any of those models when you were kids of a certain age, um, I think uh, visible car and all that, that, that's kind of the concept. Right, right. And if you would, kind of talk a little bit about the process, because I'm a wannabe artist. I mentioned that to you in the pre-call, and I, I look at your artwork, and I just cannot figure out how you do it. So for our listeners, I'm actually looking at a 1965 Shelby GT350R model uh, on your website, which is sportscarart.com. And I'm trying to wrap my brain on, now, is this is this all digital? Is this paint? Is this pen? And, uh, like, what is it exactly? It is digital, but it's still drawn by hand because mm. I I use um, I use an electronic drawing board, and you know a lot of the things uh, that I do would not be possible probably in a, in a traditional in traditional media. Although that's where I started, you know, back in the day. I mean, I'm uh, 50 years as an illustrator, so wow, I've, I've got a little time in there. So the the process is probably um, well when I started, the process has changed a lot since I started it. Uh, when I started it, I started it like I would if I built my uh, built a car, which I do do. I build cars. And, uh, you know, I started with the chassis and the wheels and and uh, kind of the left side of the car, and then I built the car up, you know, basically from the left-hand side of the car to the right-hand side, you know, built it out. And, you know, I, I, I was pretty happy with the result. But I really didn't feel like it was going to a place th- that I wanted. Sure. And um, I received an assignment um, at some point to do some drawings for um, for a Porsche book, and they were all opaque. They had no innards, just the outs- outside skins. So, so I'm drawing these, and uh, and the deal allowed me to modify them for my use if I if I wanted to. So uh, one of them was uh, Porsche Gamun Coupe and, uh, you know, first Porsche Coupe. And I thought, well, this would be kind of cool. And I already had the body, you know, already had the whole outside drawn. So um, I grabbed the motor out of a 356 and um, I dropped it on top of what I was doing, which was exactly the opposite of what I would have done and, you know, had one of those Oh, wow. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. what I'm looking for. <laughs> so, you know, the idea that the idea that this is all purposeful and that there's some great plan, um, I don't I don't think most artists work that way. I think we all have a good idea of what we want to do, but a lot of times the how is just it's a big experiment. You try stuff you know, you see in your head what you want the thing to look like, and then you manipulate the media that you have to to give you that vision, and that's what I do. Yeah, it's uh, it's exactly the opposite of what you might think, but they are still all hand drawn. I'm I'm sitting here working on one as we speak. Okay, well, and that's really cool. And I just wanted to call out that there's a, you have a little bit of everything. I know you you know obviously. Looking at your website, you like race cars, but there's American cars, British cars, uh, engines and gearboxes, Formula One, German cars, Group 44 cars. So a lot of really incredible, amazing prints. And I do want you to talk about your lenticular prints, if I said that correctly. Could you tell our you uh, our uh, listeners about that? Because honestly, I, I 
find that fascinating as well. And I kept on walking by your booth to check them out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a it's an old process. It's been around since just after uh, World War II. You know, late forties or you know mid forties, late forties kind of a thing. The most common application for lenticular art. If you live in a city and you go by a bus stop and uh, you see the guy on the skateboard and as you walk past him, he starts jumping and, you know, it's like there's emotion. Right, right. Um, so that's kind of the give people kind of a reference. Um, technically, it's not a real huge challenge. Uh, it's basically a, a, a system of layers. So you have... You have, like in my case, I collaborate with uh, photographer Bill Pack, and he gives me a sh one of his images of the car. I then draw all the insides, and then these things are put into two separate layers, and those layers have different refractions. So if you look at it from one angle, you can only see the body and the outside of the car. But as you move across the image, the insides of the car, which are, on our, which are in a different refraction plane, begin to show up. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy stuff, but it's a great marriage of, of technology and art. Yeah, it's really fascinating because I would relate it to kind of like holographic cards, you know, and I remember, yeah. you know, there's still today there's yeah. some baseball cards, you know, you kind of flip it in your hand a little bit and you see, the, you know, you see the guy pitching the ball or whatever. Yeah, that's basically the same idea. Yeah, you got it. I would go by your booth and back and forth, and I'm kind of checking them out, you know. So <laughs> I'm sure you get that a lot where, you're, you know, at first you might have been, what are they doing? And you realize that they're trying to see the outside, then they're trying to see the inside. What's the best way for our listeners to check out your artwork? Best way is sportscarart.com. And to sign up for the more or less monthly newsletter, um, because I always preview work that's coming up uh, cars that I'm, you know, cars that I'm about, I'm working on, or that I plan to work on. So, you know, if, if you have a car that you'd love me to draw, and that's the best way to find out what I'm already doing, and you can always put in a request because who knows? I've got enough work right now to keep me busy probably for the next five or six years. So, <laughs> that's awesome. That's a great sign of a successful artist. <laughs> so, well, thank you so much for uh, sharing your artwork with us today. Well, thank you for having me on the program, and good luck with it. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast. <laughs>